Amen. Good morning, family. Pastor Mike here. Welcome online. It is so good to be with you this morning, even though we may be a few miles apart. Um, We are together, connected as a family. Um, I know some of you are suffering, um, going through uh, some serious hardships. Um, I just want to remind you that we are praying for you. If you need prayer, um, you can uh, send an email in to the church or call into the church, and we will be praying um, for those needs and for all that's going on. Um, Many of you are suffering job loss, um, and I just want to encourage you, um, as I encourage myself, that we are to seek first, uh, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I know some of us are perhaps um, going through a season of fear right now, and I want to remind you this morning um, and encourage you throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation Um, God always gives us his answer for fear, and he says, I am with you. So my precious brothers and sisters, may you be reminded this morning that Jesus is with you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. Can I remind you that your life is in his hands, that he is the one shepherding your life, leading and guiding. None of the things that we see around us that are going on externally or internally are out of his control. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And I know it's weird. Um, This has been a bizarre uh, week or two. Um, But as Christians, we are not in the dark. Um, As believers, God has given us his word. And he wants us to filter everything that goes on in our lives, the things that are going on around us through his word, um, that we might have understanding and grow in our understanding and see things from his perspective as well, Jesus told us that as um, his return draws near, that the things that we are seeing now would occur with more intensity and more frequency. He said they would be like birth pains. And yet again, he exhorted his disciples as he exhorts us this morning that we are not to be afraid. We are not to be troubled, that his return is drawing closer and closer and closer. And just considering um, a worldwide shutdown. Um, I know that the the medical fields, um, our first responders, um, haven't really experienced much of a shutdown. But for many of us, um, it's like a pause button has been hit. And um, to consider that right now that that, um, we're in this pause, and, and really it's a restart, it's a refresh for many of us. We have another opportunity once this thing ends, because it will not last forever, But once this thing ends, we have an opportunity to move forward in a fresh way and in a new way to be led by the Lord. This is a time for us as Christians to be taking inventory, to see where our faith is. Storms um, typically will reveal what we are trusting in and what's going on in our hearts. It's a time to, to take inventory of what we are investing our lives in, our time, our talents, and our treasures, and a chance to reboot, a chance for a fresh start, a chance to repent if we have been, uh, if we have been squandering our time, our resources, um, the gifts that God has given us, and um, really to, to humble ourselves before God, to seek Him in a fresh way, to, to seek His face, to, to pursue God. And not only that, there are people around us that have questions, people around us that have lost hope. There are people around us that are freaking out. You know, I've been out in the neighborhood and in, in, the, uh, in the grocery store and just listening to people and watching how they are responding. Um, so many people freaking out. Some people kind of just shaking their fist. Um, they could care less about what's going on. But again, as we consider the last days, Jesus said they would be like the days of Noah. And um, not to go into what the days of Noah looked like, but all we have to do is look around us, um, what's going on around us, a a world in rebellion to God, things uh, getting out of control seemingly um, from a human standpoint. But I want to remind us about Noah. What did Noah do? Noah was faithful to do what God had called him to do. For 120 years, faithful to build the ark, faithful to minister to his family. 
And this is a great time for us to be ministering to our family, to help them connect the dots spiritually, um, what's going on around us, connecting it with the word of God, helping them to see clearly. Noah ministered to his family, but can I remind us also this morning that Noah ministered to the people around him. The Bible tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness. In other, way, in other words, he was proclaiming not only with his life, but with his lips, that there is a way to be right with God. And that judgment is coming. And, and can I remind us today um, to let people know around us that, listen, judgment is coming. And that there is a way to escape judgment. Everyone is doomed to hell because of our sin. And yet Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin as he hung on the cross, as he suffered and died and rose again on the third day, providing a forgiveness of sins, giving us the hope of everlasting life. And listen, we have the antidote for people. People are looking for the antidote, the the solution to the coronavirus. There's something worse than coronavirus, and that's the wages of sin is death. And you and I, Christian, we have the antidote. We have the cure. We have the answer to the answer for the question that people are asking. And so it's Jesus Christ pointing people back to him. Jesus took the judgment that we deserved, the wrath that we deserved. He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him, the joy of presenting you and I faultless before the Father. How awesome that's going to be. That's what we have to look forward to, guys. Our home is in heaven. We are passing through as pilgrims. We are to set our mind on things above, to store up our treasures in heaven as Jesus... um, commanded us to, that our hearts would be with him in all that we do. And so um, we have a Bible study this morning. We left off in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you would, turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. By the way, um, just uh, by way of reminder, we will be starting up home fellowships. Um, They will be groups of 10, small groups. After uh, Easter, we will be having a meeting with the leaders and the people that are opening their homes. Um, I believe it's next week and trying to get things organized. And you will be able to go online to find out which homes are available at what time and where. All the information will be on the website. Uh, I hope you're tuning in also to Facebook, our Facebook page, our Instagram page. Um, and the website to keep up with updates. I'm praying and hoping that we'll be able to gather together again soon. I miss you guys. Um, love you. I can't wait to be uh, back together again with you. Um, so we will make the most of, uh, of what we have as far as technology. We will use the resources we have um, to be able to seek the Lord together, to worship in spirit and in truth. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where did we leave off? Verse 19. I know that's a question I normally ask you guys. I have to answer it myself this morning. Verse 19, Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your great love for us. The amazing demonstration of your love that you gave your life, that we might have life and life abundant. And so, Lord Jesus, as we draw near to you, as a family, though miles apart, though there's separation, Lord, as we draw near to you, you promised to draw near to us. We need to hear from you this morning, to hear from uh, your word by your spirit, to experience a fresh work of your spirit this day. And we thank you ahead of time for the great things that you are going to do for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read the first section. We're going to look at two sections here to finish out. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The first section is 19, verse 19 through verse 23. And here's what God's word says. Paul writing, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. And then he tells us why, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. And then Paul qualifies his statement, not being without law toward God, but under law 
toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. So what does Paul communicate here? He's communicating that he will do whatever it takes that some people might be saved. And let me draw your attention to verse 19 for a moment. Paul says, I'm not enslaved to anyone. I've chosen to become a servant to everybody. And doesn't that sound like um, the words from our Lord Jesus Christ when he spoke about um, being greatest in his kingdom? Those that want to be great in Jesus' kingdom, he said, to become a servant of all, not just servant of a few, but to everybody. And so Paul is communicating here, I've chosen to serve not only the saved, that they might be sanctified, but I've also chosen to serve the unsaved in order that they might be saved. And so what does a servant do? A servant lives to make other people's lives better. Look at verse 20. So who, who was he a servant to? Number one, he speaks of the Jews, the Jewish people. And remember, that was the Apostle Paul's background. He was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was familiar um, with, all of the, uh, with all of the teachings, with all of the law, with all of the regulations, all the customs, all the traditions. He knew about all of that. And he says here to the Jewish people, I played the role of a Jew. I made myself literally in a similar way. Why? To win over the Jews to the kingdom of God. That they might be one for Jesus Christ. And those under the law, those that were, who had a strict adherence to the Mosaic law, to, the, to the, not only the moral law, but also the, the, the customs and traditions. Paul says, I became like them to win them. In other words, Paul is saying, I strategically ordered my life in order that people might be saved. In fact, he goes on to say, look at verse 21 with me. He goes on to say, to the lawless, and that's speaking of the Gentiles, those without law, Paul says, I became like a Gentile. But Paul qualifies his statement. This is so important to take note of. He says, not being without law toward God. In other words, he wasn't compromising. He wasn't walking in sin. Um, he, he, in other words, he says in the second part of that, that, uh, that, that parenthetical break there, he says, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, towards Jesus, the law of love. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And Jesus said, he said, what is the, the greatest commandment is to what? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And I think just to consider that for a moment, as we work our way through these verses, I think that the Apostle Paul, not just I think, I believe, and I I believe it's important that um, we strike a balance between the great commission and the greatest commandment. The great commission being what? Jesus called his disciples to go and to make disciples, to go and to preach the gospel, to go into the whole world to do that. And then the greatest commandment, I just said, to love God with all we got and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So there needs to be a balance in that. There needs to be a balance of doing uh, all of those things together. And so Paul says, I've done this. Why? That I might win the Gentiles. And you remember the Jews had a problem with that. The Jews, whenever they heard Paul talk about his ministry, the Orthodox Jews, the religious Jews, whenever he, they heard him speak about going to the Gentiles, the minute they heard that G word, they freaked out, didn't they? They were ticked off because, again, the Jews had no relationship with the Gentiles. They both viewed each other with, with enmity, with hatred, just as the Jews views the Samaritans as half-breeds. And I think it's important to take note of, look at verse 22, He goes on to say, to those who were weak, to the weak, those who were sickly, feeble, or those who, some people believe this is speaking of those that the weaker brother who's weak in conscience, who uh, is stricter with his liberties. 
Paul says, I became just like them. Those that were hurting or those that were uh, the weaker brother, either way you look at it, Paul did what? He became just like them in order for them to be one. And so what is Paul saying here? Paul met people right where they were at. Why? In order to bring them up. In fact, that word became, it's interesting, in, in, the, in the original Greek, it means trading out what is mediocre for what is better, or trading up. And isn't that what our Lord Jesus Christ did? You know, he, he reached out to people to bring them up to where he was, to bring them out of the muck and out of the mire. And, and Paul's reaching out to people to bring them to, into something better, into something that is eternally better, a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did. And, and I think, again, if we step back and look at this, would you associate, are there people that you wouldn't associate with to reach them with the gospel? Are there people that you and I need to associate with in order to reach with the gospel? That's the example that Jesus laid out for us. He went to everybody and he met them right where they were at. You remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Actually, Nicodemus came to Jesus. And there's times people will come to us. And we are to have a reason for the hope that is within us. To, to be able to communicate to them the truth in love. Remember, Jesus met Nicodemus right where he was at. This religious man, the, the most religious man of, of all Israel. Or, or the, 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 the most important teacher of all Israel and met him right where he was at, bringing him back to the Old Testament scriptures and speaking about things that Nicodemus should have known and, and should have pieced together, understanding that, that who the Messiah is. And, and so remember the next chapter, John chapter 4, where did Jesus go? He went out of his way to reach this one woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. And remember, he met her right where she was at before he could give her the living water that would satisfy her heart and soul, the issue of sin had to be dealt with in her life. And he tenderly puts his finger on that, but he meets her right where she was at. He goes out of his way to reach out to someone that the Jews would not even associate with. And so again, as I look at this text this morning, are there people that I am not willing to associate with that, Lord, you want me to associate with, to reach out to reach out to to reach out and to share your love with them to share the truth of the gospel with them and paul says there look what he says he says i have become all things paul became whatever it took to everybody i have become all things to all men why that i might by all means save some paul did whatever it took To what? To see people get saved. But here's the thing, and I want to make sure this is clear this morning with us. He did not change or modify the gospel to reach people. Oh, he met people where they were at, but listen, Paul knew that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And so, it's all about Paul. For Paul, it was all about people getting saved saved, seeing people get rescued. In fact, that word saved means to deliver out of danger into safety. So, so think about that with me. If you, saw, if you saw a blind man about to walk into an intersection, out into a busy intersection, what would you do? Would you let him continue to walk and get smoked? Or would you rescue him from danger and bring him into, uh, into safety. It speaks of salvation. In fact, notice some will, to save some, Paul says, some will be saved. Do I view people as in danger? The, uh, Jude wrote uh, in his book, in the book of Jude, it's that little book right before Revelation, it's like a postcard, Jude encourages us in Jude uh, verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That's what we're doing this morning. We're building ourselves up on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Certainly want to be led by the Spirit in our prayers. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself under the spout where God's love is coming out so it would flow in our lives. 
And then he goes on to say, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, looking for his coming. And then he says, please listen, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So what is Jude saying there? There's some that we need to reach out and grab from the fire. They are heading for destruction. They are heading for hell. And so whatever situation I'm in, wherever the Lord leads me, wherever he has me planted, I need to view it as an opportunity to point people to Jesus, to lead those around me to Jesus. And I think another important point here as we consider this, as, we, as we're about to move into the next section in a moment, is that if I'm going to win anybody for Jesus, I must become a servant. I must become a servant. If my attitude in life is what I'm going to get, who can I get to serve me? If it's all about me, what am I going to get out of this thing? Then I will be not only ineffective in winning people for Jesus, but I will be unlike Jesus. Because Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Look at verse 23 with me. Paul says, I do this. What do you do, Paul? Paul chose to be a servant. He became all things to all men. Why? For the gospel's sake, for the good news. It's not just the good news. It is the greatest news of all time, the life-changing, eternity-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice what he says there. He says, I'm doing this that I may be a partaker, means a close, um, a close companion or connected with, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Paul wanted to be a close companion with the Corinthians involved in the good news and seeing people get saved. What is a partaker? So just think about that with me. What is a partaker? It's a person who takes part in something. And so the question is, are you a partaker this morning of the gospel? So think about that with me. Yet, aren't we partakers of the gospel, of the good news? Absolutely, we're forgiven. We are headed to heaven. We are declared righteous. We're robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are, the, we are the, uh, the recipients of his grace, of his blessings, of his benefits. We are recipients of life, life abundant, of, of the fruit of the Spirit, things we can't produce in and of ourselves. But there's more than just being a partaker of those things. There's also partaking in the sharing, the responsibility of seeing other people come to know Jesus Christ. Are you a partaker of the gospel? Are you a participant involved in ministering the gospel to others. That is our calling, you guys. Mark chapter 16, Jesus called us to go and to preach the gospel to all nations. It's one thing to do it for Jesus, but it's a whole different thing to do it with him. The disciples went with the Lord. Everywhere they went, they preached, they proclaimed, they shared the word, and it was the Lord working with them with the accompanying signs. And so maybe you're, maybe you're sitting in your living room. Maybe you're, maybe you're in your jammies at the kitchen table having, what do you eat for breakfast? Waffles and your OJ. And you got me on the screen right now. Listen, but you're saying, well, pastor, how do I start? Where do, where do I begin sharing the gospel? Well, number one, Jesus actually gave us, he gave us um, some instruction on how, a simple instruction on how to share the gospel. You may remember in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. Actually, it was Mark chapter 5. Crossed the Sea of Galilee with his disciples to the area of Gadara. He came in contact with a man that was full of demons. Set the man free. You guys remember the story, right? The demons went into the pigs. Pigs went into the Sea of Galilee. The man is seated, clothed in his right mind. And that's a description of our lives as well, what the Lord has done in our lives. But then he asks, he wants to go with Jesus. I want to travel on the ship with you. I want to go. I want to be with you. And what does Jesus say to the man that was set free, the man that was delivered? Like us, we've been set free, correct, of the penalty of sin. 
the power of sin, one day from the presence of sin altogether. This man that's been delivered, our lives that have been delivered, Jesus said to this man, go home to your friends and tell them all the great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So two things. Has the Lord done great things for you, brother or sister? That's something we can start to share. The great things the Lord has done. And not only that, how has he had mercy on us? We've received what we don't deserve. And so that's one place to start. John 3.16, you guys know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. That's a place to start. And so um, now Paul goes on. Let's look at the next section here as we continue. Verses 24 through 27. And Paul says in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, in light of that, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And so let me draw your attention back to verse 24. So Paul is using some sports analogies to help the Corinthians and to help us understand some spiritual principles that he's trying to communicate. And by the way, the Corinthians will be familiar with all of the, uh, the imagery here of, of the runner, of the wrestler, um, as we work our way through this, of the boxer as well. I think personally, I think Paul watched sports. I think Paul loved watching sports. That's my own opinion. Um, and so I like to watch sports too. And, but I don't think Paul was sitting there going, yeah, I hope this guy beats up this guy and knocks him out. But Paul's looking at the sports. He's looking at what he's watching. He's saying, how can I connect this? How can I help someone connect it out spiritually and to learn more about the Lord, to learn more about walking with him and serving him? And Paul expected them to know this. He says, do you not know those who run the contestants that run in the marathon? And again, in Greece, they had the Olympic Games back then, the ancient Olympic Games. Very familiar imagery. And he's like, you know this. Those who run, they all run. All the contestants are running. In other words, there was no one getting into the contest for a free t-shirt. Everybody was in it to compete. And not only that, but only one runner gets the winner's prize. Only one person gets to stand on the stage to get the winner's crown. And so they all knew this. They knew that, that these athletes, they were, they were running and working as hard as they could to win the race. They all knew this. And so Paul says, likewise, or the exhortation to the Corinthians is what? Run, and it's, it's, a, it's the Greek tense continually, habitually, habitually, continually move forward, he says, in such a way, in other words, by full effort and directed purpose, why? In order to obtain the prize, in order to, it's literally to aggressively lay hold of the prize and make it your own. It's similar to the word of, of, of rapture. When Jesus comes for his bride and we get caught up in the air, he catches us up in the air and takes us home to be with him in heaven before the tribulation rolls out. Similar word, to go for the prize and to reach out and to grab it and to make it your very own. And so there is a way for us to run this morning that we might win the prize. And what is it? It's single-minded, it's sold out, and he's going to go on to say self-controlled in just a moment. The Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul uses this, um, this analogy for our relationship with the Lord, our walk with the Lord, our, 
our, um, our growing in the Lord, our life in the Lord as a race. And he said to the Ephesian elders at Miletus in Acts chapter 20, he said to them, and this is in light of the Holy Spirit telling Paul, tribulations, chains are, are what you have in your future. The Holy Spirit's telling Paul, listen, nothing but pain ahead, nothing but struggle ahead. By the way, the Christian life is difficult. There is struggle. There is agonizing. Jesus said that those that have chosen the narrow way, it is difficult. But again, the best is yet to come for us. And Paul's exhorting us to run in such a way that we may obtain the prize. And he said, in light of the Holy Spirit testifying to him of gnarly stuff awaiting him, he said, but none of these things move me. I think, how many people are being moved right now? You watch the news. You listen to the news. You listen to people. Fake news. uh, Things going viral about things that are going to happen. And people, what? It moves them. Listen, the only one that should be moving us is the Holy Spirit, you guys. He's the one that should be leading us. We should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm exhorting myself. He says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. How can we keep from being moved by difficulties, tribulations, small t, the things that are ahead? How can we keep from being moved by not counting our lives dear to ourselves? The Lord bought us at a price. He purchased us. Our lives are no longer our own. Our lives are a blank check for God to be used at his discretion any way he wants. And Paul says, in light of that, he says, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's like, none of this stuff moves me. My life is no longer my own. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live. I am running my race. I'm going to finish this race with joy. I'm going to do what the Lord has called me to do. What I've received from the Lord, I'll be faithful. I'll be faithful to communicate that to others. I will walk in it, and I will also share it as well. Well, back to 1 Corinthians 9. In verse 25, look what Paul says. Everyone who competes for the prize, it says, is temperate in all things. All the competitors, and this is a wrestling, this is wrestling imagery here. It's agonizing. It's, 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 uh, if you've ever wrestled someone, you, <laughs> it takes a lot out of you. It is agonizing. It's strenuous. It's, there's a struggle that goes on. Everyone who competes for the prize, um, who agonizes to win, is temperate or self-controlled. They exercise self-control in how much stuff? In all things. Why? Why do they do that? Why do, why do athletes give their best, train as hard as they can? Why do they modify their diet? Why do they say no to some of their liberties? Why do they, why do they put good fuel in their bodies? Why do, they mo- why, why do they modify their lifestyle in the way that they do? You think about Olympic athletes that train their whole life, Right? And, and, and it's amazing. They train their whole life to do what? Just to win the gold. They don't want to win the bronze, right? No one remembers the bronze winners. They, you want to win the gold. You don't want to come in last. You want to come in first. And so you train hard. You give your life over to this thing. And Paul's saying, look what they do in the natural. Look what, look what people do. And, and, and it's interesting because he brings up in a minute to win a perishable crown, to they do all of that training lifelong. They, 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 they do things with their diet, with their lifestyle, all these things. They do all of that to win a crown of leaves that are going to turn brown in one week. For leaves. But they put in the effort, the blood, the tears, the sweat. They dedicate their lives to win a crown made of olive branches a wreath that will decay, but, please notice this, but we, we dedicate our lives serving the Lord, sharing the gospel, becoming all things to all men, becoming servants of all to get what? For a crown that will never decay, an eternal crown. I think perhaps it's speaking of a crown for soul winners, for those that are about winning souls for the kingdom. And so I would say, 
just a simple application, we must exercise self-control if we are going to receive this crown. We must exercise self-control. And so, and Paul's making that point. There are certain liberties that we need to lay aside in order to, to, to keep people from being hindered from receiving, to keep us sharp and on our game, serving the Lord. In fact, he goes on to say, look what he says. Therefore, in light of that, Paul says, I run thus. In other words, this applies to me first. This applies to me first and foremost. This is how I'm living my life, how I've chosen to run my race. So how does Paul run his race? Look what it says, verse 26. Not with uncertainty. In other words, not failing to recognize the true value. That word uncertainty also speaks about not failing to recognize what's at stake, how vital, how critical, the importance. Paul's speaking of what? The importance of the race, of his race. In other words, he's saying, I know what my calling from God is. It is to win the lost. And I will do all that I can to see those that are headed to hell to be rescued by Jesus Christ, that they may end up in heaven. And listen, that's your, in other words, he's saying that's your calling too. That's our calling, guys, to see the lost get saved. In other words, I don't run with uncertainty. Life and death are at stake. That's how, that's how critical this is. That's how vital this race is. That's the real value. Life and death are at stake. It's not about getting Paul's name in lights. It's getting about people's names in the book of life. And Paul switches analogies. So he goes from a runner to a wrestler to a runner, and now he, goes, he says, I'm like a what? A boxer throwing punches. And so he goes from running, verse 26, not with uncertainty. I know the direction I'm headed, the value, the importance. Life and death are at stake. But I also fight. I also punch. I also throw punches. Not like someone just doing... God, anybody ever, you guys ever seen someone doing uh, kickboxing, aerobics type stuff? Taibo, is it Taibo? I can't remember what it's called. And you're just punching. You know, I'm just... That's Paul saying, I'm not throwing punches just all over the place. He said, I'm throwing these punches right on time, right on target. I want these punches to count that I'm throwing. The boxer doesn't step into the ring and just start throwing punches all over the place. He wants them to make sure that they connect, that they're hitting the target. In other words, Paul is purposeful, wanting to make every effort count for his service unto Jesus Christ. And what is he saying? I know what God wants. The loss to be saved. In other words, I'm strategically thinking about my life, how I'm going to fashion, how I'm going to form, how I'm going to shape my life so I can win the prize, so that I can win souls, that I can receive this crown that Jesus has waiting for me. I strategically purpose in my life. Are we doing that, you guys? Leveraging what we got to see people reached for the kingdom Well, he goes on as we finish here in verse 27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. That word discipline means to beat black and blue. (laughs) And he's using, again, a boxing illustration here, something they were familiar with, like a boxer who trains and buffets his body or takes blows to his body, um, handles his body roughly, disciplines by hardship. I just think about like, you watch like boxers training sometimes and um, you know, they spar, they, they, they got guys throwing stuff at their stomach or whatever, the, the med balls to toughen them up. And, and Paul's saying that here. In a spiritual sense though, he, in bring into subjection means to bring captive fully compliant to the will of of the master. In other words, I take this body, Paul's saying, I take this body full of desires and cravings, this body that wants to use liberty to gratify itself, and I put this body in place. So important, isn't it, to consider? Because think about our liberties, the liberties that sometimes we exercise. I think that, I, personally, I think they're rarely used to glorify God. 
I think more often they're used to gratify the flesh. And Paul said in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul wrote about our freedom. And he said, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so, Paul says here, he's doing what he's doing. Why? Because he doesn't want to get disqualified. He doesn't want just to to talk a good game and not back it up. Because he says, lest when I have preached to others, what? I myself should become disqualified. Paul did not want to be banned, barred, ineligible, or some people use the phrase to be put on the shelf in his Christian service. In other words, he wanted to, and here's the, here's the most important part I think he's saying about this, he wanted to be usable for the Lord, to remain usable. He didn't want to be disqualified. And it's interesting, that word disqualified in the Greek is adokimos, which, which speaks of, there's different, it was used for different things in ancient uh, times. It was used for a coin that was counterfeit. If you found a counterfeit coin, you would say adokimos. A politician that was corrupt and got busted, adokimos. A soldier that, that went AWOL or, or uh, that, that left the battlefield, they would say adokimos. A stone that was rejected by the builders, was called adokimos. They would actually write an A on that stone. And Paul's like, man, I don't want to be disqualified. That tells me there's a possibility of being disqualified in our service unto the Lord, our sharing of the gospel. Paul spoke about it in another way, about in God's house, there's vessels of honor and dishonor. In 2 Timothy, if you flip over there with me, 2 Timothy Chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for for dishonor. So God's great house, there are different vessels. Some are, are honorable, they're used for honor, and some for dishonor. And then Paul says, listen to this, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, you cleanse your voluntary purity from the latter, from dishonor, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, which means to be set apart, and useful For the master, I hope that's all of us, we want to be useful for our Jesus, prepared for every good work. It's interesting, in the great house, there's two types of vessels, honor and dishonor. In my mom and dad's house in California growing up, when you come into our our house, my parents still live in the same house, if you go in the front door and you hook a left, you go into the living room, and there's vessels of honor. My mom has her artwork and her other stuff. Household idols, just kidding, mom. Uh, other stuff, artwork and, and uh, pieces of, uh, of pottery and, and design stuff. But then if you hook a right and you go into the living room, there's a lazy boy chair sitting right there. That's not the vessel of dishonor. The vessel of dishonor is sitting right next, or was sitting right next to it. And it was this big gold kind of giant cup with a big lip. And it's a spittoon is what it is. And if you're not familiar with the spittoon, you can Google it, check it out. It's used for spitting in, specifically tobacco and other stuff. And so that would be a vessel of dishonor. In, the ha- in my father's house, there was two vessels. That's what he's saying here. You choose what you want to be. You want to be a vessel of honor? He said, you voluntarily offer yourself voluntary purity. Lord, here's my life. Search my heart. Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, show me those things that don't belong. In fact, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Let's let's talk about it. Hebrews chapter 12, as we finish up this morning. Paul is, again, using our relationship 
with the Lord to a race. Hebrews chapter 12, you guys remember this passage? He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run how with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul says, therefore, in light of all the witnesses, this great cloud of witnesses, what are, what's the great cloud of witnesses? Is it the believers around us right now that are cheering us on, rooting us on? I hope we're rooting on one another, by the way. And not, not ragging on one another, tearing one another down, because we're all in this together. We don't race against one another. Individually, we're running. We're competing against ourselves. Right? We need that, we need that spiritual discipline in our lives. Paul's talking about self-controlled discipline, reading our Bibles, praying, Giving of our time, our talents, our treasures, those spiritual disciplines, I would encourage you to, to consider as you have this downtime with the Lord, how you're investing your life. Paul says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, maybe from chapter 11, all those from the, from the, the hall of faith, this chapter of the, the amazing saints that went before us, that trusted God, and maybe there, it's like a, it's a picture of an arena Everyone's watching, and there you are running. And he says, let us, the author, I think it's Paul, includes himself. And he says, number one, let us lay aside every weight. And what does a weight do? A weight will slow you down. There are things that will slow you down in your walk with Jesus Christ, in your race with Jesus Christ. When, when, when runners get into the blocks, they don't put weights on their feet or strap on a backpack full of rocks. No, you want to get off everything you can. You want, to, you want to lighten the load as much as possible. Let us lay aside every weight. I don't need to point out the weights in your life. You know what they are. I know what they are in my life. In fact, this downtime has caused me to search my heart, to search my life. There are some things I needed to repent of. There are weights that I needed to lay aside that were slowing me down in my race. And then he says, lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Sin does easily ensnare us, you guys. And there's things that we can dabble in, we can open up our hearts to, we can allow our flesh to gravitate to, that will ensnare us and keep us from running with endurance. Again, I don't need to point those out in your life. The Holy Spirit is faithful to show us those areas we need to confess and to forsake and to repent of. And he says, lay those things aside and let us run with endurance. It is, an, it is a long race. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a continue on to endure. No matter what's going on. I'm, I'm disciplined. I'm trained. I keep my eye. And then he says, and this is so important. There's a race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus. Are your eyes on Jesus today? That's, that's the, the most important thing. Not looking at people running next to you. Not looking at the fans in the stands or the people that, the people that would, uh, you know, bleacher bums, we used to call them in baseball, that would just come and would rag on you and try to tear you down. There are those in the race. There's people that just came for the free t-shirt and they got out, they're, sin- they're sitting in the stands. Are you looking unto Jesus with your eyes on him? Listen, maybe you're watching today and you're not even in the race. You're not even on the track yet. And the Lord is calling you right now unto himself. He loves you so much. This race that we're talking about, it ends in heaven. There's only one of two places you're going to go, either heaven or hell. And the Lord doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's inviting you right now onto the track that you might run, that you might, that you might begin this race, this race where he will give you what you need as you look to his resources, as you look to his strength. As you look unto Jesus, 
my precious brothers and sisters, he gives us what we need, but we are to run with endurance, he says. We are to run with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, is it a joy for you today? Is it a joy for you, your race? If not, I would encourage you, again, revival always starts by coming back to Jesus. Coming back to him, being reminded of who he is, what he's done, what his word says, what his word says you are, who you are in him. It's glorious to be reminded where you're headed, where we came from, but where we're headed. Thank you, Lord. I'm I'm not what I should be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. And I can't wait to see what I'm going to be when I'm home with you for the joy that's set before us, despising the shame. There's some shame along the way. Shrug it off. You keep running. You keep enduring. And so as we finish, Paul said what? I want to be usable to the Lord. And Paul, two things, would do whatever it took to reach people and whatever it took to remain usable for the Lord. May we follow his example as we follow Jesus. And it's in his name. Lord, thank you so much for the exhortation today of your word, for the example that we find in Paul Lord, and as we have this downtime, as we are slowed down, taking this pause, this time out, that we would consider what type of vessels we are in your great house. And that if our lives are those of dishonor, if we are not fully engaged in what you've called us to, Lord, may we make the adjustment today that our hearts, our minds, our lives would be in sync with you, Jesus, that we would take up our cross, denying ourselves each day, following you, allowing you to live in and through our lives. God, having a heart like yours for the lost, forgive us, Lord. May we be reminded this morning, Lord, please, that rescued people rescue people, that we would reach out that we would be cooperating with the Holy Spirit, being men and women um, not only under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but that we would pray and seek your wisdom and your guidance. We don't want to trust in an arm of flesh. May we be flexible, Lord, in reaching all these different people groups around us, connecting with them, building bridges, Lord. But as we build bridges, Lord, that we would not um, compromise your message, the greatest message of all time. And so we thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being used by you. I pray my brothers and sisters would be encouraged today. They'd be strengthened. That they would find rest in you. Thank you that your name is a strong tower that the righteous may run to and are safe.